Thankful to be here and thank you for the people you brought. And uh, Lord, um, those people that are out uh, traveling, doing things with family, keep them safe. Bring them back safely in all ways and all things. And Lord, I uh, just pray your, our hearts would be open to what your spirit has to say through the teaching this morning in your name. Amen. Ready, Colossians 3. Now, continuing our study here through the book of Colossians, and we've said numerous times, probably every week through the book of Colossians, the central theme of Colossians is Christ. And every single week, the theme is Christ and going deeper in Him. Well, what you're going to see here today, and I'll be the first one to say these uh, verses that we're going to do this morning, there's nothing earth-shatteringly theologically deep in them. These are all points that you already know. But here's the problem. These points are something we already know. It's the follow-through that's tough. And isn't that what it is with Christianity a lot of times? We know it. It's the follow-through. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people that claim to know it all. And they know the scriptures, they know everything, but yet if you're not following it through in your life, what's the point of having that type of knowledge? So we know it, but now let's put it into action. And this is what you're going to see here. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now in those four short little verses, the word Christ is mentioned four times. The whole point is Christ, once again. Now... We've all failed in this area. <clears throat> I failed in this area this week. I failed in this area on Thursday. Is I lost that eternal perspective. And that's the phrase you're going to hear countless times today, is the eternal perspective. Um, you know, up on the website, we like to put a little uh, devotional up sometimes of something we find really good. And we just put one up uh, yesterday, and it was by Greg Laurie. And for those that don't know, Greg Laurie uh, lost his son tragically in a car accident uh, about two years ago. And, you know, Greg Laurie is a very well-known pastor, and he went through this process of grieving and suffering trials and tribulations publicly. And he wrote a great little devotional at that time uh, simply titled, Why? And you've all been in those positions before of why. I remember a few years ago I was asked to do a funeral for somebody, and it was a very tragic accident, and there was a lot of why questions, and there was not a lot of answers. That's tough. That's real tough. And that's one of the things that come out in that devotional is, Lord, Why? And he ends up in that devotional talking about the eternal perspective. And that's what I want to share with you today is the eternal perspective. Now, some of you brought some big stuff into church today. you got some big why questions. Maybe it's an emotional, a spiritual, or a physical struggle. But here's the thing. Nine times out of ten, we're not dealing with something big. We're dealing with something minute. A little fight with the spouse that turns into a big fight over nothing. One little problem at work which turns into a horrible day. This is where God says, can you still have an eternal perspective in the little things? And this is where we fail as Christians. This is where I failed Thursday. I had one of those days where I let the little things become big things, and I totally lost that eternal perspective on what was going on. Well, what are we supposed to do about this? Verse 1. If then you... Let's stop right there. It's personal. It's you. You have to decide whether you want this stuff to affect you or not. There's nothing you can do about that other than you. You know, people come into my office and they're, and they're talking about this or that and they're laying down these burdens and basically saying, what are we going to do about this? And the truth of the matter is, what are you going to do about this? I can't change your perspective on life. You can't change my perspective on life. If you want to be a grump and a grouch spiritually, then you're going to choose to be that. If you're going to want all these little things to affect you, nothing can change you. This is the key word of the whole lesson is you. You have to decide if you want this stuff to get to you or not. 
Now, I can't make you want to. I can't make you not want to. See, but the word, the reason you is there is because God always wants to let you know it's personal. In John 11, when Lazarus died and Jesus went there to the funeral, if you will, and Mary and Martha were out uh, crying, Jesus goes up to one of the sisters and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? He says, do you? When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, Jesus says to him in John 3, 3, you must be born again. He made it personal. So often in Christianity, we throw out these broad statements of, you know, we need to be more loving. We need to serve. We need to do this. Well, this is one of those references where Paul, through the Spirit, is saying, no, you. You have to decide if you're going to allow little things to get to you. And the truth of the matter is, there are some grouchy, grumpy Christians out there. And they allow little things to get to them. And as they get to them, it pulls them down. It pulls their family down. And you sometimes step back from a distance. You're thinking, why? Why are you allowing this tiny little thing in your life to have that much power over you? Because what is the point? Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The New Living Translation sums it up so nicely and so quickly. It just simply says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now think about that for a second. How much of your life this last week was focused on things of the earth? That you were just worked up about this, bothered about that, upset about that. How much of your time was just thinking about God, heaven, the eternal perspective? We are so focused on what goes on in this world that we lose that eternal perspective and we allow little things to become big things. So what happens when you have a bad day? We all have bad days. Things go bad at work. Things go bad at home. What's the eternal perspective? Well, the eternal perspective is, let's move on here, verse 3. You died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Very simply put, you're saved. Well, if you're saved, what's there to worry about? Now, I know that's a pretty simple statement, but it's the truth. If you are saved in Christ, what is there to get worked up about on this world? There's nothing. So what happens when the world throws all these things at you? What are you going to do about it? I had a day recently, I told you about my failure on Thursday. I let little things get to me. I had another day not too long ago where it was just one of those days where everything just built up. started out early in the morning. At 1 o'clock in the morning, Kenan woke up crying. And kind of the way it is at our house is if something happens to the three older boys, I'm the one that gets up. If something happens with the baby, Dawn gets up. And we've kind of trained ourselves where normally I don't even hear the little one and normally she doesn't even hear the three older ones. So at 1 o'clock, Kenan, our third one, was crying about something, go into his room, get him cuddled back down, get him back to sleep. No big deal. And I'm not exaggerating at all. An hour later, 2 o'clock, Judah gets up. Now, Judah is the bull in the china shop. He can't do anything quiet. So he opens his door, and it's pound, 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 opens the bathroom door, pound, 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 flipped on the lights. Judah has to go to the bathroom. Judah has not learned to whisper yet in three and a half years of life. I go in there, Judah, what are you doing? I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, the neighbors don't need to hear that. So get Judah taken care of, get Judah back to bed, that's fine. 3 o'clock in the morning, it felt like, you know, a Christmas carol. It's like I was visited by three ghosts or something like that. Three o'clock in the morning, Elias wakes up. Now, Elias has a little more tact to him. He just stands in the hallway and yells, Daddy. So I go, Elias, what do you need? He goes, well, what should I do? I said, what do you mean, what should you do? He goes, well, I don't know what to do. I said, it's three o'clock in the morning. Go back to bed. He goes, I don't have anything to do in bed. I, I said, I don't care. So I go back in and get him in bed at three o'clock in the morning. And once again, this is not an exaggeration. Then at four o'clock... Layden, who has discovered that he can spit, just decides to start spitting. 
And it's just this spitting, and it feels like there's this fountain of water. You know, you're just sitting there. So Layden finally quits his spitting at four, and next thing you know, at five o'clock, Dawn's spitting just for fun. I don't get it. No, I'm exaggerating about one of those. Um, the point is, I already had predetermined it was going to be a bad day. I already had predetermined. So this is the first word here I want you to focus on when it comes to internal perspective is the idea of being predetermined it's going to be a bad day. I already had it predetermined by the time I got up, it's going to be a bad day. Because I got up at 1, I got up at 2, I was up at 3, I was up at 4. So I automatically go into the day predetermined it's going to be a bad day. Now where's my eternal perspective? The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. Every morning is a new day to start out with the Lord. And isn't that the truth of it? I mean, there, there's no way to, to go against these points. Now, some of you may say, well, that sounds a little hokey, but it's the truth. Every morning, God's mercies are new. Every morning, it's a new day to serve Him. And that is the truth of the matter. The problem is the majority of us don't look at the morning as a newness. We look at the morning as, I've got to get up. I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. No, you get to wake up and serve your Lord Jesus Christ all day. That's the beautiful part about morning. Now, how do you get that mindset? Back to that word, you. You have to determine that. And I know we say these phrases, some people are morning people, some people aren't morning people, and there's some truth to that. But the truth of the matter, though, is you determine how you're going to face the day. You know you've got a big day at work. You know that there's going to be problems. You know the boss is going to be upset. You know it's going to be a long day. Do you already predetermine before the day even starts it's going to be bad? You've lost your eternal perspective. Your eternal perspective is Jesus could return today. Your eternal perspective is, you know what? This is just one day out of eternity. An eternity I have all day with Jesus. I have all day in heaven. I'm not going to allow this one day to get to me. So the first word here is, how do you predetermine the day? You have to decide. You can make it good or bad. Because look at this one word here too in verse 1. Seek those things which are above. Seeking means effort. It's going to take effort on your part when you wake up in the day to not predetermine it's going to be a bad day. You have to seek that. That's why I think it's so important to start your morning out with the Lord. I think it's so important to have that time in the morning of prayer, devotion, praise, because it really gets your mindset on the Lord. Now, I know for some of you, you savor every extra second you can and so the idea of getting up in the morning is not there for you. I would encourage you to try that, though. But if you can't, I would encourage you to use that commute time to work. You don't need to catch up on the headlines. You don't need to catch up what's on the radio. You can catch up with some praise and music. Praise music. You can catch up with some prayer. You know what? Find some time at lunch. Find some time before you go to bed. That's the purpose of this As we seek, verse 1, seek those things which are above. <clears throat> if you are not seeking the things that are above, you're not going to have an eternal perspective. You're going to be seeking the things that are on earth. And if you seek the things on earth, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get depressed. You're going to get discouraged. This is a very depressing, discouraging world that we live in. You turn on the news and it's just bad news left and right. You talk to your friends and every time you hear something, somebody else got diagnosed with this. Somebody else's marriage is falling apart. Something else is happening here. There's some tragic accident. It's a depressing, discouraging world. And if you are not seeking the things that are above, you're going to get pulled down into it. And that's why God is telling us, seek above. Well, what do we get out of seeking above? Look at verse 1, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, this idea of sitting, why is he sitting? Because he's done working. 
If you'd like a little more reference to this, I encourage you to check out Hebrews 10, 11-14. Hebrews 10, 11-14. It compares the Old Testament priesthood to Jesus. And it talks about how in the Old Testament, the high priest was always standing, working. Jesus is sitting. So if Jesus is sitting at the place of majesty and honor, if Jesus is sitting because his work is done, why are we worked up about things? You know, if Jesus was worked up, I could see if Jesus was fluttering around in heaven trying to do this and that. Jesus is sitting. Why is he sitting? Because what did he say? It is finished. So therefore, it's done. Why do I have to worry about things? Why do I have to get worked up? I seek those things that are above. Above. So therefore, it doesn't pull me down. It happens in this world. The first word we talked about was predetermined. It's going to be a bad day. Here's the next word. People that are, I call pull-downs. You're having a bad day, and you're only happy if everybody else is having a bad day with you. You want to pull everybody down with you. Now, I don't get that. I say I don't get it, but I catch myself doing it too. You're going to have a bad day, so you know what? You're going to whine and complain about everything all day. So you go into work and know someone else isn't having a bad day, you're going to tell them why your day is so bad. And then you're going to tell the next person why your day is so bad. And if they're not con- content in hearing how bad your day is, you're going to keep telling them how it is. You've already predetermined your day is going to be bad, so you're going to pull everybody down with you. Now, to be quite honest, what type of witness is that? I mean, as Christians, we have bad days. As Christians, we go through trials and tribulations. But yet, as Christians, if we're seeking those things that are above, why are we jumping into the way the world acts? I used to work with some people that were pulled down people, and it is so difficult to be around them. You're afraid to go up and ask them, how are you doing today? Because there's always a problem. There's always something wrong. And the thing is, you would think that in the body of Christ, there's nothing wrong with being honest and saying, hey, you know what, today's a bad day. I'd appreciate some prayer on this. Or you know what, I'm really going through a tough time. I could appreciate some prayer and some encouragement. But yet if you constantly are pulling everybody down, I have to stop and say, wait a second, where's your eternal perspective? Because your eternal perspective says, hey, I'm seeking those things that are above. I'm not going to let the things of the world get to me. How do I do that? By seeking and realizing Christ is sitting. And by doing verse 2, by setting my mind on things. I seek, I realize Christ sits, and then I set my mind on things above. It is action. It is a mindset that I stop and say, I'm not going to focus on what's wrong. I'm going to focus on what's right. And what's right is Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. How do we reach that point? Verse 3, you have to realize you've died. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. This is the most famous chapter on dying. We have to realize we've died. Romans 6. When we realize that we've died, but we're alive in Christ. At Colossians 3.3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I'm dead, but yet I'm alive in Christ. Therefore, it's so easy for me to have that eternal perspective. Because you know why? You can't bring a dead man down. He's already dead. Temptation doesn't affect him. Things don't bother him. He's dead. Not trying to make a joke about that, but that's the truth. So the point is, if I have died to this world and its passions and lusts and desires, that means the things of this world shouldn't affect me anymore because I'm dead to it. Romans 6, let's go ahead and start in verse 5. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, 
certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if I've died with Christ, that means I'll rise with Christ. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Let me ask you, are you a slave of sin? What controls your life? Is it the Lord or is it sin? If sin is controlling your life, Paul is saying, wait a second, you're dead. If you're dead, sin has no power over you. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. We have eternal life, is what he's saying. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that in verse 11? That word again, you. You have to choose. Are you dead to sin or not? Have you died to the passions and lusts of this world, or do you allow those things to rule in your life? You decide that. Every now and then I'll get somebody come into my office or want to set up a Bible study, etc., and they want me to take them deeper in the Lord. I have a hard enough time taking myself deeper in the Lord. I can't determine somebody. Now, I can set up legalism for you. I can say, every morning read this, and I'm going to call you every day. I'm going to email you every day and make sure that you've read it. I'm going to make you do this. I'm going to make you do that. That's not a desire to go deeper. That's someone forcing you to do it. You have to decide that you want it. Verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. It's a choice that you make. Now, I know we're making this sound so easy. And there is one catch to this, if you will. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. Because we make it sound so simple, right? I'm dead, so therefore I'm not tempted. I'm not brought down by the things of the world. I'm dead to this world. So therefore, when these things in life happen, I can realize, hey, this isn't my home. You know, we studied that in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. The world's falling apart, that's fine. It's not my home. I'm dead to this world. But here's the problem. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, there's that word again, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let's stop there for a second. What type of sacrifice am I? I'm a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with the living sacrifice is? It doesn't want to die. The living sacrifice wants to crawl off the altar. The living sacrifice says, well, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I don't really like this. I used to work in a uh, meat locker for a while. No animal ever walked in there saying, oh, boy, this looks like fun. You know, they knew what was coming. And no one wants to be the sacrifice. And so this is the catch. And I use that term lightly because God says, you've died with me. You've been united in my death. You are dead to the world, the passions, the lusts, the desires of this world. You're dead to it. But he comes back and says, yeah, but you're still alive and you have to make a choice. So here's the thing is, in my heart, in my spirit, I realize I'm dead to this world. I realize that those things of the world are just going to bring me down. I realize that. There is no joy in that sin. There is no fun in that discouragement, that despair, that depression. I know that. But as a living sacrifice, I keep crawling off the altar. And I keep saying, okay, I give up. I sacrifice my life to Christ as I'm untying the knots to get off. This is the hard part. Once again, it comes down to what? You. 
you have to decide to do this. I have to decide to do this. Because let's finish this verse up. Bodies of living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, I love Paul. Paul's very logical. Paul's very simply stating here, hey, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. The reasonable thing to do is to say, I'm going to offer my life up back to you. That, that just makes sense. It's reasonable. There's nothing deep spiritual there. This is not one of those verses where you say, oh my goodness, I've never thought about this. It's that simple. Christ has died for me, so the reasonable thing that I should do, the rational thing I should do, is say, I want to serve you. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, this is a verse I use a lot. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm so confused on what to do. I don't have any direction in my life. I don't know what to do. I say Romans 12, 2. The Bible says when you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice to the Lord, God will show you what his will is. Problem is, and I know in my life, I don't offer myself up as a living sacrifice. I go almost as a tag team with the Lord, saying, Lord, this is what I think I should do. Lord, this is what I want to do. The living sacrifice says, I'm here, I'm a sacrifice, what do you want me to do? And I tell you, if you are struggling with seeking the Lord on what is your will, if you're struggling with this idea of I feel like I keep getting pulled back down to the world and you feel like the world just always gets a grip on you, have you died? Have you reached the point of where you say, I die to my lusts, my desires, my wants in life, and I truly say, Lord, all I want is you? I'll be the first one to say that's easier said than done. But I also do realize this is what God has asked us to do. So therefore, when you realize I do this, the joy comes. And really, honestly speaking, is there anything in this world that is worth more than Christ? Is there anything? You know, Hebrews talks about the pleasures of sin. There is a pleasure in sin. But there's one word before that, the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is such a momentary fun, if you will, and I use that word lightly. And it's not worth it in the long run. So when you're going through these tough times, and you say, okay, I'm supposed to have this eternal perspective, I'm supposed to realize that I've died, how am I supposed to keep that perspective when my world is falling apart? How am I supposed to keep this mindset when everything is pulling me down, when everything is wrong, when my life is not the picture of joy, peace, and happiness? Keep your hand in Romans, because we're going to come back there. But if you will, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So the first word was predetermined. I predetermined I'm going to have a bad day. I need to realize this mercies are new every morning. The next word is the pull down. I'm having a bad day, so I'm pulling everybody down with me. I'm going to let everybody know what's wrong. I'm going to do that. Nothing good comes out of that. I have to realize that I'm dead. And therefore, if I'm dead, those things have no power over me. The last word is perspective. Let's, how do we get to this perspective, this eternal perspective of everything? Well, First Peter has a nice point with this. First Peter 1, let's start in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though, now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now that's a fighting verse right there. I'm supposed to rejoice over trials. Now why? Because those trials are supposed to make us a better believer. What basically happens, God says, James, you're getting spiritually weak and flabby. I'm going to allow this event to happen in your life to strengthen those muscles that are weak. 
and to get your perspective back to where it's supposed to be. And he says, James, I want you to rejoice because I love you so much. I'm allowing this event in your life to shape you up. Now that's really easy to say from the outside perspective. But when you're in the middle of that, it is hard to see. So therefore, Peter gives us some words here. Look at the first phrase that I want you to focus on in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though, for a little while. It's just a little while. My bad day that happened last week lasted for just a few hours. And I let it affect the whole evening and the rest of the day. A little while. So let's say it, let's say it happened three hours. Let's say I had a bad three hours. That's one-eighth of a day. There's 365 days in a year. So I'm going to allow that one-eighth of one day, that's one of 1,365, I'm going to allow that to affect me? That's weak on my part. That's real weak on my part. And the truth of the matter is, since I called myself weak on that part, I'm saying it's weak on your part. If you allow something that happens in one of those days to bring you down for the rest of the day and you want to carry this burden with you, that's weak on our part. We need to let that little while really realize it's a little while. I mean, in the whole scheme of eternity, what is three hours? What is it? It's nothing. But yet we allow these little things to become big things. But right now some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't understand. It, 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 it hurts. Yeah, look at the next word here in verse 6. If need be, you have been grieved, or some of your Bibles may say distressed, by various trials. It hurts. It, it's a grievous. It, it, it's a pain. But... I forget that word's above it, if need be. Sometimes I, I need to be poked a little bit because God says, James, you're losing that perspective. You're losing that eternal perspective. Well, Lord, why would you allow this to happen? Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though as tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy and expressible and full of glory. See, look at verse 8. What am I rejoicing in? You rejoice with joy. What am I rejoicing about? Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You rejoice in your salvation. How many times have you heard us say out here, no matter what you face in the world, be it spiritual, emotional, or physical, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you always have something to rejoice about. You always do. Your soul is saved in heaven. You can rejoice in that. No matter what you face and during the day, you can rejoice in the fact that your name is in heaven. As that great hymn says, what? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't that beautiful part there? In the face of Jesus, these things disappear because of my salvation. That's what gets us through. One last reference here, and then we'll finish this up. 2 Corinthians 4. This is a good one here to mark in your Bibles if you don't have it marked for a second. 2 Corinthians 4. Let's build on this one more time here. Predetermined we've talked about. Pull down we've talked about. Perspective. That's what we're dealing with now. It's this eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4. This sums it all up. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's stop for a little bit here. We've already talked about and Peter talks about for just a little while. Now look at verse 17. Light affliction. Now some of you may say, well, the affliction I am dealing with is not light. You don't know my boss. You don't know my work. You don't know my spouse. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know the physical concerns I'm going with. But you know what? It's light when you compare it. Look at the end of verse 17. The eternal weight of glory. Whatever you're facing now pales in comparison to eternity. 18, verse 18 sums everything up. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. See, what are you seeking? If you're seeking the things of heaven, those are things you can't see. You can't see Jesus sitting up there in heaven. You can't see the eternal reward that's waiting for you. You can't see the fruit of what's going to come out of this. God says you've got to trust in faith. And for some of you, that is just horrible that you can't see what the end is. That just drives you batty. We have, um, there's a graduation party going on today out here at church, and so they already have stuff set up, but they took our dividers back in the fellowship hall, and they kind of blocked it off because we have our junior worship that goes on back there. And so it was fascinating this morning. Here's all these dividers that are divided so you can't see the rest of it. Almost to a T, every kid that came in for junior worship, what did he or she do? Had to walk over to the dividers and look behind him. Why? They couldn't stand not seeing. They have to know what's back there. They have to know what's going on. And you know what? Some of us as adults, we don't lose that. God says, trust me. I'm going to use this situation for my glory. Okay, Lord, how are you going to use it? Tell me. What's the end? No, just trust me. God's going to say, you know what? You're planting seeds right now. You don't see any fruit. Trust me. Fruit's going to come out of those seeds. Okay, Lord, when? How? What? God says, just trust me. There's things which are not seen. And you have to trust and look at the end of verse 18. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are seen are not seen are eternal. See, I see things that are temporary in this world. God says, I see the big picture. James, you see that time that you spoke to that person and no fruit came out of it. You see a failure of a Bible study. You see a failure of a witness. You see a failure of a counseling session. God says, I see a seed that was planted that will sprout for all of eternity down the road. Now, I don't see that. And there's a lot of times that I have what I call my temporary failures of like, okay, Lord, I don't know why we did that. That was a failure. No fruit came out of that. And God says, oh, there's seeds planted. There's seeds planted. You just got to wait and see. How many times have we used this analogy out here? This is farming season. This is planting season. The farmer puts the bean or the corn in the ground. It doesn't sprout up right away. It takes time. And even when it does sprout up, it doesn't produce a crop till this fall. Why is it spiritually that we have lost that mindset? I plant a seed and I want immediate results. God says, no, you may not even see this thing sprout. You may not see this thing break through the service. You may not see the harvest of this. But you have to trust that this unseen thing is eternal. Seeds are being planted. So going back to Colossians now as we finish this up. We realize it's you and I. We have to make that choice if we're going to allow things to get to us or not. We have to seek those things. We have to realize Christ is sitting. We have to set our mind on the heavenly realm. We have to realize we've died to this world. Because verse 4, this is what we're going to end with, when Christ is who our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, the Bible says Jesus is returning. So when Christ our life appears, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you realize, and literally, as the Bible says, a moment, twinkling of an eye, things can change just like that? I mean, just like that. 1 John 2 says that we don't want to be ashamed at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed at the coming of Christ sitting here in worry and fear and anger and frustration because I've allowed the world to get the best of me. Jesus could return at any moment and say, what are you worked up about? I'm coming back. And once again, that thing that you're so worked up about, possibly tomorrow or today, Christ could return before it even happens. The eternal perspective is what gets us through because if we did not have the eternal perspective, we should all walk around depressed, discouraged. I tell you, if there is somebody and I see them in the world and they're not saved, I'd be depressed. If I didn't have Christ, seriously, what good comes out of this world? That's why God says eternal perspective. But he also says one thing too. He says, occupy till I come. We are focused on eternity. We are focused on heaven. But we also live in this world where God says, the reason I have you down here is to be that light and a witness until I come, to shine for me. So therefore, you have that eternal perspective. Good. Now try to help pass that eternal perspective along, along to somebody else. And just remember, really simple application point, the next thing that you want to get really ticked about and upset about, just stop for a second and think in the whole scheme of eternity, does it really matter? Does it really matter? I think you're going to find very few things in life where you can say, okay, this is one I really can get upset about, justifiably. Most everything that happens, God says, it really doesn't matter in the whole scheme of eternity. Set your mind on heavenly things. Mara, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Just want to remind you, too, as you get ready to leave today, take a look at the uh, different graduation announcements, a lot of different parties going on the church was invited to. And also, uh, as Russ did with the announcements, lots of sign-up sheets. Uh, garage sale giveaway, next thing coming up. And as they're getting ready here, in case you're new to the church, you don't know what the garage sale giveaway is, very simply put is people bring their items in, and instead of us selling them at a garage sale, everything is free. People come, and the whole point is we say everything is free just like the gospel is free.